Welcome to the Princess and the Bee podcast, the place to be to build your empire as queen of your body, business, and life. I'm your host, Kimberly Spencer, founder of crownyourself.com, and I'm an award-winning coach, Amazon best-selling author, and multi-passionate entrepreneur. Each week, I give you the systems, strategies, and success stories to help you master your mindset, communicate with ease, and triple your productivity so you make the income and the impact you deserve. Imagine this podcast as your weekly spark of inspiration as you take it to the next level with all the bees of your life, body, business, bank account, boys, and babies. Let's make it rain. Hello, hello, and welcome back to The Princess and the Bee. As always, and especially today with this new guest who I have on, take a hot second of gratitude and thank yourself. Show yourself some love for choosing content that is uplifting, inspiring, sometimes challenging, but that allows you to grow and expand into your next level and into your full potential. Because today I have Dr. Jane Tornator who is a therapist. Oh, Dr. Jane, just yes. let me know how to spell how to pronounce your name correctly. Oh, I always forget. To ask. Yeah, that's correct. I did. Tornatory. I did. Yeah. Okay, cool. God bless editing. All right. Cool. <laughs> Dr. Jane Tornator is a therapist, speaker and author based in Seattle, Washington. She has been in private practice for 15 years. Her style incorporates compassion, curiosity, deep listening, and heartfelt optimism. My girl, along with powerful shots of playfulness. Yep, got to have that. Jane has dedicated her career and her life to helping people love themselves and have self-compassion. She received a master's degree at the University of Illinois, a PhD at the University of Minnesota. Before going into private practice, she spent two decades working in the field of Alzheimer's, including research and working for the Alzheimer's Association. She has authored over 20 articles and just published a book, Everything is Perfect, Just Not Me, A Roadmap for Self-Acceptance. The title alone is just (laughs) glorious. Dr. Jane, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. I am delighted to be here. So what got you on your path as a therapist? What inspired you when you were in college to have this be your field? Um, Well, honestly, it wasn't till after college. In college, I was an English major because I loved reading about people's lives and getting inside their heads and and what motivates them. And so it was the perfect major for me. um, (laughs) And and psychology was all about rats, and I have no interest in rats. So... (laughs) What actually got me thinking about being a therapist was my sister, um, when I was in call after college, I was living with her outside in New York City, and our family was uh, just a little bit dysfunctional when I was growing up. So mm-hmm. she's like, I'm bringing us into a family therapist. So we all came together and went in. And at the time, I was working in advertising in New York City. You know, it's getting people to buy stuff. That, that was my job, get people to buy stuff. And so this therapist starts off the session with, my job is to put myself out of business. And I'm like, what, 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 that, what? She totally had my attention. She said, well, if I help families and they become healthier, and then those uh, um, kids 
go on to have partners and families and they're healthier. And then of those kids go on to have partners and, and kids and they're healthier. She said, pretty soon it'll spread all over the world and I'm out of a job. And I went, I am in the wrong profession. And so I went back and I said, um, I'm going to quit and I'm going to go to grad school to be a therapist. <laughs> I love that. Isn't that amazing? And, you know, I don't remember the therapist's name, but I, I so wish I could call her up and, and thank her for literally inspiring me to change my entire career path. And I love the perception of that therapist because I know a lot of people and I've, I've worked with a lot of people who have been in therapy for years, if not decades. And what's your suggestion to people who are experiencing that but aren't yet or necessarily seeing the progress that they would like? As, as um, doing their own work? Oh, oh I'm sorry, with sorry. working with a therapist. Oh, goodness. Well, therapy, in my mind, is always about a good fit. Mm -hmm. The therapist can be awesome, but if they can't understand and uh, haven't had the experience to, to gain the trust of their client, um, they could be fabulous, but they're going to go nowhere because if the client doesn't trust the therapist and doesn't feel safe, and isn't inspired by the therapist. Um, you know, therapy is about change and change inherently for human beings is terrifying, even if it's good change, right? I mean, you remember when you first held your kid in your hands, you were probably like, oh my God, I'm now responsible for this human being. Scariest moment of my life. <laughs> right? And also the most glorious moment of your life, probably. So yes. even really good change is terrifying. So the, the client... Um, has to trust the therapist that they're going to be with them and hold them on their journey as they are going into unknown territory, which is inherently scary, and yet which helps them love themselves more because they know themselves more and they just get bigger and bigger and bigger. I love that you came from the background of storytelling. So now as a therapist, mm. how do you work debunking people's past stories in a way, if, if, it, if that is the correct word to use. Absolutely. Uh, so that they move into a more empowered future. Um, I have people, and I just want to just um, pinpoint how that's a beautiful synopsis. It is our past stories that, that keep us small, keep us in our <laughs> boxes, keep us behind all these shields we've created. And um, I think probably the most useful tool for helping people let go of these stories, which I'm going to do a little caveat here, letting go of our stories is hard because we've created those stories out of past pain mm -hmm. and we've created them because they, we think they will keep us safe. Like, oh, I can't possibly apply for that job because I don't know what I'm doing and I just will fail and it'll be awful. So um, it keeps us from being hurt from taking a risk but it also keeps us in a very small box. So when people can actually feel the pain that those old stories create, they're much more motivated to change. So when I'm working with people, I um, have them work with their bodies a lot to have the thought and then think and just be with themselves and go, well, how does that, how does that make me feel? Like physically, does it, make, does it make me light? Does it make my heart all go pitter patter and happiness? Or does it make me feel like dreadful and heavy and kind of sick to my stomach and stressed? And when people see um, 
the effect of their own stories, they have much more motivate, they have much more motivation to change, to create stories that are actually helpful to them and help them expand versus keep them contracted and small. So I love the fact that you work with people's bodies and the stored emotions, in essence, that sometimes get stuck in there. Can you explain from your perspective why it is that, that working through the, the medium of the body is so powerful for helping heal people's stories? Um, there are many reasons. One of the, I'm a, I'm a basically a brain geek and I love, um, I, I know enough to be dangerous. Let's put it that way. <laughs> if I could go to school again, I'd be a neuroscientist. It'd be really cool. But I didn't. But um, so when being in our body, one of the things it does is it slows down our brain. When we are feeling the physical sensations of our body, those old loops that are so painful for us. It's, it's, it's never going to be good enough. And he shouldn't have said that. And I shouldn't have said that. And what a moron I am. And you know, all these messages we give ourselves like a little hamster wheel of hopelessness. Um, when we focus on our body, it literally slows down our brain, our, our thinking. It slows down our thoughts. So it gives us more of a chance to get in there, interrupt the thought pattern and choose one that actually is more helpful and actually, honestly, more truthful for most of us. So one, it slows down our body. And two, when we've got feeling associated um, with a thought pattern, any, any of our senses actually, um, it does more for, it creates more neural pathways in our brain when we've got senses associated with the thought pattern. So if you're trying to um, um, kind of create an, and really make solid a belief that you want to have, um, if you have a feeling associated with it, you're literally creating more pathways in your brain. So it's stored in more places in your brain. So it actually changes your brain faster. Yes. Yeah. I'm literally, I'm like sh nodding my head, fist pumping to the Yay! sky, <laughs> like preach it, right? <laughs> because, oh my goodness, because our unconscious minds, they don't know the difference between something that is true or something that is vividly imagined. And the more vividly you imagine this experience of what you want with all your senses, a full sensory experience mm -hmm. of what it is that you want, that's like manifestation 101. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's, there's science behind it. I mean, it, it just, it's just, it just works. <laughs> yeah. It's so simple. And many of my clients I give, I work on very simple tools and sometimes they'll say, well, that seems too simple. I'm like, it is simple. And it works. <laughs> because isn't that fascinating? Because yeah. humans are so good at overcomplicating things. Oh, I'm, I'm a beautiful example of that. <laughs> yeah, same here. So what is the simplest tool that most of your clients are like, that's, that's too easy? Oh, there's, um, I'm, I'm wondering how this will come up by on video, but I've been reading about polyvagal theory lately, which is just super awesome and taking the therapy world by storm. And um, one of the books I read has this exercise called the basic exercise. So I'm going to walk you through it and you let me know. I've never done this without visuals before. So okay. You let me know if this is clear. Yeah. So you put your hands in front of you and you interlace the fingers. And then 
you put your hands behind your head on the round part. So your elbows are out and okay. straight forward. Now, keeping your head looking straight forward, you move your eyes all the way to the right until you yawn, swallow, or sigh. And you were super fast on that. That can take up to a minute. And then, keeping your head straight forward, move your eyes all the way to the left until you yawn, swallow, or sigh. Gotcha. Okay, so what that does is it uses your, the muscles of your eye, activates the ventral vagal nerve, which kicks in your um, parasympathetic nervous system. This is a social engagement part of the nervous system, which quiets our brain, enables us to read information from other people more easily, and it brings more of our brain on board. It's so simple. Whoops. Um, my cat just jumped off my lap. It's so simple, <laughs> and yet it's the fastest way I know to bring our parasympathetic nervous system on board. This is the rest, digest, and heal part of our nervous system. It takes oh. less than two minutes, and bam, we're, we're, we've got more of our brain on board. That is a fantastic exercise. It's so uh, awesome. Dr. Jane, I'm not sure if you know, but like my background is in like 10 years of teaching Pilates, which is a, a, a form of exercise like yoga that oh, activates yeah. the parasympathetic nervous system because you're, it's the rest and digest um, because you're matching the breath with movement. And that? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so people Pil love Pilates. Pilates and yoga. That's why people come out with a kick-ass workout, but they're so relaxed. So it's actually one of the great exercises to do um, if you're struggling with adrenal fatigue as well. No kidding. Oh, thank you. I will let my clients know that. That's awesome. Yeah, so activate, yeah, activating the parasympathetic nervous system. But I love the fact that you just showed me an exercise that anyone can do. And if you're listening to this in the car, please go home or when you are parked, do right. that exercise. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it kicked in so fast. And right. I can tell you within two minutes, I felt so much more relaxed, like, like coming out of a good Pilates session. Yeah. People notice their breathing slowing. Mm -hmm. um, they breathe more out of their belly. All signs of the parasympathetic, parasympathetic nervous system being on board. It's so simple and so powerful. So what is the biggest lesson that your clients have taught you as a therapist? Oh my goodness. That is a fabulous question. Um, when I'm like, I'm like, ah, gosh, so much. My goodness. I don't know if it's a lesson so much, but I am in awe of my clients because they come to this total stranger and they proceed to share um, their fears and their hopes and their courage in doing that. And some of my clients have quite a bit of trauma in their background, and yet they still have faith that they can... Um, not get better because we're all, we all are who we are and we're just different versions of ourselves, but they can make the changes that they're hoping to make. And some of my clients have gone like, I'm, I've tried therapy and it's honestly hasn't worked that well. And I'm like, well, good for you for giving it another try. Yeah. But just the courage they have and, and what they're able to share and, and 
their ability to love themselves more, their flaws, and be able to hold more of their beauty and their wisdom. It's just, I'm inspired every single day by my clients. It's amazing. I love that. I mean, I think for me as a coach, it's such a rewarding practice. And I'm sure with healing, helping people heal these past stories that are very deep rooted sometime of that, that are preventing them from really living their best life. So how do you heal those parts of yourself that you don't really like and that you feel like they're not really going away? Maybe it's some, some judgment or some shame or some, some self-hatred or loathing. Right. So one of my secrets is that um, a person I work with often says habits are forever, which can sound very depressing, right? It's like, yeah, (laughs) what, what am I doing this for then if my habits are forever? And what I've found is that I continue, like I will always work on myself probably to the day I die because I'm a lifelong learner and um, just wanting to know and love more of myself. Amen. Um, yeah, right? So um, what I've found is that it's not getting rid of these parts. Because you ever have you ever heard the phrase, uh, what, um, um, what, what, we re- what we resist persists? Oh, yeah. Right? Big time. It's so true, especially our feelings. And I was listening to one of your podcasts, episode 51, um, where you're talking about the process of being with our feelings and being with them and letting them flow. Mm-hmm. exactly what we do with our feelings um, that when we can just be with the parts of ourselves that we don't like and our bigger selves can hold these parts that we're like oh my god I can't believe I think that or I feel that or I did that when we can be with those parts and hold them they don't have as much power like literally shame as Brene Brown says shame gets weaker when we when we're not alone with it yes it has more power when we resist it and when we hold it and go yep i'm judgmental or yep i'm selfish sometimes or yep i just cut that person off in traffic (laughs) (laughs) and there was a little part of me that enjoyed it that's right (laughs) but when we can hold them we actually have more choice over them Yes. Um, we have a choice of, oh, I want to beat that. Actually, no, I'm, I, that doesn't feel good. I'm just going to let them go in because, you know, I'm still going to get it where I'm going on time. So we actually have more choice if we don't beat ourselves up. We can go, oh, yeah, that's a natural reaction. And I'm going to choose this other one. Or, yeah, I screwed up. What do I want to do next time? Because that actually didn't feel so good. Yeah. I love the fact okay. that you touched on being able to choose differently. I was literally just working with a client this morning about how to choose differently, how to recognize those moments of a past pattern of maybe a past pattern of self-loathing or self-hatred when in the past you beat yourself up, but instead making a conscious choice to say, oh, 
oh, there's my trigger. There, there, I'm doing it again. Okay, I'm making a tr- conscious choice to choose to love myself. So what would it look like to love myself in this moment? What would it look like to be okay and accepting? Maybe not loving the, the judgment or the loathing or whatever it is, but being accepting of yes. the fact that you're human and the fact that you right. did feel that and the fact that you have had, you know, years and years of conditioning and programming that's built you to be in this, in this space. And now you're choosing to be a different way. Absolutely. A colleague told me the other day that our unconscious responds 0.3 seconds faster than our conscious thought. Ooh. So those triggers, those habits, they're there. And then when you're aware, like you said, we can make the choice because the unconscious comes up first. Our old habits, our old triggers, our old fears, our old beliefs. And then we go, do I really want to do that again? (laughs) And the amazing thing is I love that factoid because that is so powerful to know Mm -hmm. that once you have that 0.03 or 0.3? 0.3. 0.3 is what I heard. But it's a here thing, so don't yeah. like say absolute truth here. <laughs> but once you have that like 0.3 or like that one right? second of noticing it, uh-huh. that's your one second of being human. <laughs> and then and then allowing for the next second. You can change in the next second. Absolutely. I love the way you're stressing that. It, absolutely. One second makes a difference and we can choose. And it, it really just takes a second. And the thing is, it's, I was talking with somebody and they said something so brilliant. I was talking about, you know, how to, how to help people love themselves more and what helps it stick. And they said, well, you know, it's like self-love is like exercise. It's not like you get to a certain point with exercise and you're like, great, I'm in the shape I want to be. Now I can check that off my to-do list and now I'm going to learn piano. I mean, it's, we keep exercising to keep those muscles built. And it's the same thing with self-love and self-compassion is in this second, what do I choose? In this second, what do I choose? In this second, what do I choose? And it's for the rest of our life, we are always choosing to um, you know, be kind to ourselves or to follow the old patterns, which sometimes, you know, honestly, it doesn't feel like there's much of a choice. It's just running and we're along for the ride. Yes, and I love what you mentioned about exercise. Um, Simon Sinek, most recent book, The Infinite Mindset, really touches on, you know, you can have a finite goal that, you know, you would like to love yourself more and be a bit kinder to yourself. And, or if it's a finite goal with your body of, you know, achieving a certain weight or feeling energized. But like you said, it's not like you you don't get to there and then right? like, okay, I'm good. I never have to exercise again. It's a practice. It's not a pill. Like yes. it's, it's a continuous process that we'll be going through for the rest of our lives. Absolutely. So I know that you went through some, some childhood trauma and dysfunction when you're about six or eight. How has that experience allowed you to have not only compassion on yourself, but for mm. compassion uh, for, your cl- for your clients and your patients? Well, one of the things I've found is, well, I, I um, responded to my childhood by becoming a perfectionist, which <laughs> in my mind, if I was perfect, everything would be okay. Mm. There would not be as much stress. I wouldn't be so afraid. Everybody would be happy if I were just perfect. So I, as the littlest kid in the family, took on the responsibility and I took it on. I don't think anybody else gave it to me, but I'm like, it's my job to make this family healthy. So 
um, I became a perfectionist, which for me means if I do anything wrong, um, I'm a failure. It's not like, oh, bummer, I screwed up, I made a mistake. It's I am a mistake, right? Yeah. So it's not my behavior, it's who I am. And then I was, when I was in grad school, I was listening to this famous child psychologist, and I was in the audience, and she said, um, your value is not what your behaviors. And I'm like, what? She's, no, she's got to be wrong, because of course, if I screw up, I'm a screw up. And, and she, she said, basically, your behaviors are just behaviors. They don't equal your value. And I, I just, it, I didn't get it because I'm this perfectionist who had to be perfect. But luckily I'm kind of insightful. And I realized since she's the expert and I'm a student, she may know something I don't. Right? <laughs> I just sat with it and pondered. And then it finally hit me. It's like, oh my goodness, I get to make mistakes. It doesn't mean I'm I'm a mistake. And Brene Brown hits that super hard on um, the gifts of imperfection. Yes. Brilliances. Um, so, so I um, went through my own version of trying to keep myself safe and everybody else safe by becoming a perfectionist. And so I, uh, I created a lot of pain for myself. And because I also decided to become a therapist, I also learned a lot of tools to, to, to try to create new behaviors, new thoughts, and just be kinder. And so my own kind of trauma and stress um, uh, I guess it's it's you know the compassion I had to learn for myself to give myself the gift of being human. Like I frequently say to myself, I'm really rambling on this answer. So I, oh, hope- I, I love oh, it. I love it. Like people are not their behaviors. Gold, exactly. like, like gold. Yeah. And so one of the things I learned, and I got this directly from Tara Brock, of I, I frequently put my hand on my heart and go, oh, I'm being human again, which is such a, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm making mistakes and oh, I hate it, but I'm human. I will always make mistakes. Because we are not, we can't be, we're so fallible. So my own learning of that, um, I just help my clients with that constantly. They'll say something and I can totally tell they're judging themselves. And I'll go, yeah. oh, you mean you're being human, right? And they go, yes, I'm being human, right? (laughs) (laughs) So it brings humor instead of shame to our flaws. So how have you remedied and how do you help your clients remedy the, the perception of what failure actually is? How do I help them remedy it? Um, I don't know that I do. We, we just fail. It's our belief yeah. system around it that's the problem. Yes. We believe that we shouldn't fail, especially as perfectionists. And I draw a lot of perfectionists to me because um, I am one. I know. <laughs> right? But yep. like, yeah, you're going to fail. Uh, and so does everybody else. I've got this analogy that I use with my clients, which is, okay, so pretend you're an orange in this bowl of oranges and there's all these oranges around you with beautiful orange skins and there's little dimples and they're smooth and it's just beautiful. They look round and perfect, right? And then, but you see inside of you and you see this pulp that's all messy and sticky and spurts all over the place. You cut it and you're just a mess inside, right? So you see your insides, but you see everybody else's outsides. And you're like, 
they're perfect, I suck, right? But we don't see their insides. They only see our outsides. So we're all walking around going, well, they've got it all together, but I'm clearly really pathetic. So I've got to hurry up to try to be as good as them. And mm. everybody's walking around doing this. And very few of us say, um, I'm feeling shame right now. Or I just really screwed up. I yelled at my kids and I feel really bad about it. Like we don't share that stuff. The people who are super brave and courageous do and bless them for it because they're helping change the world. But I love that. On the topic of failure, what is your absolute favorite one that you've had in your life? You know, that is the best and worst question for a thera- for for a perfectionist. <laughs> I'm like, failure? No, I don't. I don't fail. I can't fail. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would say it was writing my book, actually. I spent three years saying, I'm writing a book. I'm writing a book. I'm writing a book. I'm writing a book. And I spent three years saying, I'm writing a book and not writing the book. Or I would sit down and I would just have horrible thoughts going in my head about who do I think I am? Nobody's going to find this interesting or this stuff. Everybody else knows anyway. It's not going to help. All those negative thoughts. So I hired someone so I could speak to them. And then she basically put my words in paragraph form, right? I can talk forever. My, my inner editor is not there clearly <laughs> when I'm speaking. I'm just, I'll just babble on and I'll just do, you know, segues. But writing is a whole different... It, gets to a different part of my brain. So once I decided, oh, I can get help with this, the book was done in like four months. I mean, it's not a huge book. It's like, you know, around 50 pages, but you know, three years versus four months. And it was so profound because as a perfectionist, I'm not supposed to get help. I'm supposed to be able to do everything by Mm -hmm. myself right the first time. And so it was so... Oh, such a profound lesson for me of, wow, you can actually like help the world more if you ask for help. And if I can't ask for help, I can't go to my clients and say, you know, getting help, super awesome. If I'm like, exactly. yeah, except for me, it's good yep. for you plebeians, but I have to be perfect. right? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I love your honesty and your vulnerability. <laughs> and girl, I feel you with the book. Yep, yep. Mine I, is definitely, I have set the date. It's coming out this year. And it is. it has been a five-year process in the making. And so mm-hmm. I totally understand the, the perfectionist dilemma. Oh. Uh, that of that voice that gets inside your head and especially when you're writing because yeah. you're all by yourself and there's no one else there but you. Right? And nobody's there to go, um, you're being a little harsh on yourself. Yeah. Right? You're being a little unkind. Try right. to that compassion thing that you preach. <laughs> right. <laughs> and that's the beauty to be a therapist and I'm sure a coach also is when I'm sitting there being, beating myself up, I'm like, Jane, what do you say all day long to the people you work with? You might want to say that now. So it, it keeps us more honest. Amen. Mm-hmm. So I know that you are a fellow ecstatic dancer. <gasps> Seriously? <laughs> yes. Awesome. Wow. And I would love for you to share a bit about what ecstatic dance is and how it has helped you love yourself and your body more. Oh, my God. 
goodness, I am so excited you're a fellow ecstatic dancer. It, I've been doing it for, I want to say, around 15 years now. Oh, dang, I just started. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's, it's big here in Seattle. And it's, oh, it's going to be so powerful for you. Um, when I first went, I was full-blown. I hadn't, I hadn't really started thinking that perfectionism maybe wasn't my best habit ever. So I went in, and you know, an ecstatic dance there aren't really a, a whole lot of rules. You can move any way you want to. You can dance in groups, you can lay on the floor, you can dance by yourself, you can dance with somebody else, you can do anything, right? It's just like responding how your body responds to the music. And the first time I went in, I'm like, hey, where are the steps? What, can, should I, what do I, and I didn't know what to do because there were, there were no rules that I was used to. Mm. So. The first time I went in, I went in twice and it was like way too out of my comfort zone. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I can't keep coming back. And then I went back a couple years later after my dad died and a whole lot of internal shifts happened. I went back and I'm like, oh, there's so much freedom here. Oh my goodness. I can move any way I want to. I can dance with anybody I want to. I can dance by my, it was like, it was a total sea change. And it was for a while, um, well, actually it still is. I call it my moving meditation. Yes. And I firmly believe that when we change how we move our body, we change how we think. And when we change how we think, we change how we move our body. Um, and so I move in ways I never, never could have before. I'm, I'm just, I can look totally wacky and dorky or just moving my body in unexplainable ways. But it's, it's, for me, it's like absolute freedom to be what I want to be in this moment. And it's, for me, it's such a joy-filled process. I just, I'm so happy when I leave that room. And by the way, this is all done without alcohol or drugs. Exactly. Or talk, we don't talk. And no talking. Like, like right? you don't, you do, you dance with people, but there's, there's only uh, facial and physical interaction. There is no, there no are sexual. no words, no. no sexual either. Yeah, it is just simply dancing and it is a liberating experience. Oh, oh so I highly re recommend you try it. Yeah. So what's your experience with it? My experience, I've only started recently, but dance has always been, uh, I started out in ballet, very, very rigid, very right. regimented, which is where my own perfectionism came from. Uh, yeah. um, and I found that from there, I stopped dancing because it was too triggering for my eating disorder that I had uh, back when I was 16, 17. Mm -hmm. But I always loved movement. And I started when I was 18, 19 years old, I started doing pole dancing wow. at S Factor. And that was my version of ecstatic dance back then because I didn't know anything about ecstatic dance because at S Factor you do it with all the lights low it's just you and a whole bunch of women in the room there's no mirrors so there's no judgment oh. and it's just you moving and then you learning how to move sensually with your body and for me healing uh past trauma that I had experienced it was liberating to go to this class for two hours and have that and then later on only recently I discovered that there's ecstatic dance that you can do like on Sundays and just mm -hmm. dance for hours it's so joyous it? and I t I love the fact that you said when you change your body 
you change your brain because yes. I, I've always said running has been my, my form of moving meditation, running and, and, uh, and free dance as well. Um, but that running changed me uh, back when I was in uh, my first marriage. And it changed me to where when I ran my first marathon, I crossed the line and I kept on running to the place that I had um, my wedding reservation. And because my ex-husband and I had eloped prior to him deploying. Uh-huh. And I ran, I kept running. After 26.2 miles, I kept running and I ran oh into God. the place that we were supposed to have our, our wedding reception. And I immediately canceled the reservations because my body had told me after a marathon and a torrential downpour that this was not the relationship for me, that this was not a good place for me to be in. Holy cow. So that speaks to the power of how you're like, how when you change your body, you will have breakthroughs after breakthroughs, which is why all my high performance clients, I stress the value of daily physical movement just for 30 minutes to an hour a day. Just move your body and watch what it tells you, the stories that it'll bring up. Right. The connection with our body. And in this society, we have learned to cut off our head from our body. And yes. We've, we've, we've cut off a great source of our wisdom. I'm like, <laughs> in the polyvagal theory, they found that 20% of the neural pathways go from our brain to um, the, the gut area. And yes. 80% go from the gut area to the brain. Mm. So we're supposed to get more of our information from our body than our brain but we've done it completely backwards in this society. And there's a fantastic book called The Gut and Psychology Syndrome by Dr. Natasha McBride on just about on that, on how uh, healing ADHD, schizophrenia through the, the, the gut. Wow. Yeah. That sounds, what's that called? Uh, gut, the Gut and Psychology Syndrome. The Gut and Psychology Syndrome. Awesome. It'll be, I'll post it in the show notes as well. Great. So, oh my goodness, Dr. Jane, I feel like we could talk for hours. I know. (laughs) So I want to know, when was your moment? Like, did you have a specific moment when you just realized that you needed to love yourself more and that that you realized your power and the power that there is in that love and in that compassion? Oh my goodness. So this is, uh, this is, uh, uh. It's a strong story. When I was in grad school to become a therapist, still hadn't quite clued in on this self-love thing. I was dating this guy and uh, he broke up with me and I was devastated. And he broke up with me to get back with a previous girlfriend. And I spent at least a year being miserable and blaming them for how unhappy I was. And there was one point where I was thinking of killing myself because I was worthless, because I learned Mm -hmm. for some reason that I needed a man to love me in order to have value. I mean, literally, that's what I thought. If a man doesn't love me, I don't have value. And clearly he loves somebody else more than me, so I suck and I probably shouldn't be here. And I knew enough to know uh, this is not a helpful um, frame of thought, so (laughs) I... I, um, when I got past the initial wanting to kill myself, I'm like, okay, I gotta, I gotta do something. So I started reading a lot of self-help books and I read, um, the book, uh, I forget which one it was. It was maybe having the love you want. I think it might've been that one. 
mm-hmm. Harville Hendricks. And there was uh, one thing I read in there that said, uh, basically, the other person hurt you once. You hurt yourself a thousand times with your thoughts. And I'm like, oh, that's totally what I'm doing. I hadn't spoken to my ex for months and months. And yet daily, I was, I was miserable because of what happened. And I'm like, wow, he stopped a long time ago. I'm the one creating this pain right now. And it was just, for some reason, this light bulb moment of, I'm creating my pain. And it was from that, I mean, bless his soul, he set me on my path to self-love because I'm like, this belief is not working for me. My value should not be based on whether a man loves me or not. So I'm like, well, what's the other option? Uh, I guess me. So, <laughs> so I just started learning to, and literally it was learning to love myself and practicing being kind, practicing saying kinder messages, practicing self-care instead of just like, you know, drinking a whole lot and watching TV and crying, <laughs> which, which is not so helpful. <laughs> if somebody wants to try it, it doesn't help. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> so I would love to know, how has being a woman helped or, or hurt you in your career as a therapist? That's a really good question. There, we have most of the um, therapists are women, but the men who are in there are, you know, they're there for a reason. So I think anybody who chooses to be a therapist has to be a, who who is a healthy therapist has to be a certain kind of animal in the first place. Mm -hmm. Um, I think what has stopped me is I took a, a class from a woman once on women and money. And she said something that I will always remember. She said, they've done studies and women only apply for a job if they can satisfy all the requirements, like if they know how to do everything that that job is requiring, they will apply. Men can have like 50% and they'll apply, assuming that they'll figure out how to do the rest, that they'll learn it. And I, I listened to that and went, you don't have to do everything to, to even apply? What? This is like mind blowing to me. So I think women, for some reason, we're taught that we have to be able to do everything perfectly to say, yeah, I can do that. Men are just like, I, I'm good. I'll, I'll figure it out. I've got capability. I've got capacity. I've got intelligence. I'm on it. I'll just learn and it'll be fine. I don't think women are taught that same message. And I certainly, you know, didn't know that until now. Like, that's why your perfect question is so hard. I'm like, but I have to, I have to, no, I'm going to do it right if I'm going to do it. So I can't fail. Right. Yep. Yep. I love that. Um, I know Sheryl Sandberg, I believe quoted that, that study as well in her book, Lean In, about the difference between men and and women applying for jobs. And so why do you think that that is? And how do you think that we can shift the culture for women to start having a conversation that they are capable, that they can figure it out and that they don't need to have all the things and all the stars in alignment before they go for their dream. Oh my goodness. That is a, that is a fabulous question. Um, when I'm faced with big things, like how do you change the culture or the environment or politics <laughs> yeah, so, or you know, all that stuff? It's as big as you want to make it. Yeah, like, <laughs> I go into overwhelm and I'm like, um, I can't think of anything. But what I've learned, and it goes right to the heart of capacity and capability, is one of my premises that keeps me out of hopelessness is 
I can't change the world. What will change the world is each individual making small changes. So if we each work on our own capacity and see our capacity and allow, which women aren't so good at allowing their capacity. It's like when mm. somebody says, oh my God, you did so well. Women are more likely to say, oh, but I didn't do this. Perfectionists definitely say that. For and sure. You know, people who are like, you know, who, who are own their capacity go, thanks, I liked it too. Um, <laughs> so when we make these small changes, we will change the world. Like when I was working for the Alzheimer's Association, I wrote a report and, um, well, actually I'll backtrack a little bit. I have a heart, like when we were talking before um, you started recording, you did a beautiful job at saying, I accept that 150% when I gave you a compliment. And I'm like, oh, I love that. So there was a point where I realized when people would compliment me, I could not take it in. Mm-hmm. Inside, I'd, outside I'd say, huh? and inside I'd go, yeah, that's, you clearly don't see how, how I failed on that. So I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to shift this and I'm just going to start saying thank you. And so when people would say stuff, I'd just go, thank you. And then I would just like grit my teeth so I wouldn't say anything else. I would just say, thank you, thank you. And I did that for a while. And then one day I was doing that report and I turned it in early and I handed it into the receptionist and I said, here's the report. She's like, oh my goodness, you're early. That's awesome. And I said, I know, right? And I'm like, what did I just say? Did I just like... Totally accept my compliment and compliment myself out loud. So that's what happened just by this small thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I, I just allowed myself to receive more compliments. And when we're kinder to ourselves, it naturally spreads to other people. We naturally are kinder and more compassionate to others. So to change the culture, we change ourselves. And then, you know, just based on mirror neurons, when we see other people doing stuff, our mirror neurons fire with that same kind of thing. So when we, you know, it, it's a perfect example of when you smile at somebody, even if you don't know them, what, what do they do? They usually smile. Yeah. And often they aren't thinking, I should smile now. This perfect stranger just smiled at me. They're, they just automatically smile. So when we're kind and compassionate to ourselves, people around us will pick it up. And then they'll start being more kind and compassionate. And then all those people will be around people and they'll start being kind and compassionate. And pretty soon it's all around the world and we're out of a job. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I think that you touched on such a beautiful point about receiving a compliment. And I'm sure you've seen an, in, in, that there is an energy of receiving. And for me specifically, I've, I struggled with the ability to receive compliments as well, but I struggled with the overall energy of receiving anything because of sexual trauma that I had been through. Right. Yep. And it's a closed down, shut down for safety. Very much so. So how can women heal that ability to just receive? I mean, for me, like when you gave me that compliment before we started recording, I have literally started a, I, I've been practicing this for a while of a conscious practice of saying, I receive that and practicing that ability to receive, mm-hmm. which I also think totally applies to the energy of receiving money as well. Yep. Yep. Okay, so tell me your question again. Okay, so, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. What? <laughs> so how do you help women specifically with, with allowing them to receive oh, more? Oh, 
okay. So one of my theories is that our ego is around to keep us safe. Mm-hmm. Our heart and our intuition and our soul wants us to thrive. Our ego just wants us to be safe. And to be safe, we need to not do anything new. The only way the ego knows we will be safe is if we've already done or experienced it before because it knows it's already survived, right? Yep. Um, so one of the things I like to do is do little itty bitty things that kind of sneak around the defense of the ego. So like when I was um, uh, just about finished with my uh, doctorate, I was thinking, I was just about to leave school and I'm like, you know, I learned a whole lot and I have a feeling that it's not just about theories. And I, I realized that trusting myself was as important as using all the knowledge and theories by the experts that I learned. Mm-hmm. So I decided to do a practice to build up my intuition because I was one of those people who were, it's my head, people, it's my head. Uh, mm-hmm. It's nothing below my head because I also had uh, sexual abuse. So it was safer to be in my head, being in my body associated with shame, right? Mm-hmm. So I cut off my source of wisdom when I cut off um, my, my um, um, connection to my body. So I decided, I read the, uh, what's it, Celestine Prophecy, which mm. was big back then. It's a hokey story, but it had some good points in it. Mm. But um, so one of the things I did was on my walk home from graduate school, at every um, corner, I would say, do I want to go left, right, or straight? Left, right, or straight? And I would look and I'd look which direction looked more appealing to me or brighter or just just looked more interesting. And I would go that way. And my walks home were quite circuitous sometimes, but I would just build this, okay, what feels right now? What feels right now? What feels right now? What feels right now? And I did it in a way, like if I turn left, right, or straight, my ego is not going to go, what are you doing? That's crazy. Your ego's like, well, that's no big deal. Let that pass. Well, that's no mm-hmm. big deal. Uh, let that pass. But it was also signaling to myself, my wisdom is important and worthy to listen to more than what makes sense, right? And I would do stuff like, do I want to eat this apple or this pear? And I would just literally look, which looked more appealing to me? And I'd choose by that. So I did these minuscule practices to build up my connection to my body and to my intuition until I can make bigger decisions. Like I, made a, I bought a car based on my intuition. Um, actually, that's a whole other story. Which, anyway. But, um, <laughs> but um, and so that's how I learned to trust myself and my knowledge. And it's by doing little practices like that that help us have more, that more compassion and love ourselves more and create the change that we desperately want to create but we're often too scared to create. Does that answer your question? Yes, I love that exercise. Yeah. And I would love to know from your perspective, what do you believe is the difference between wisdom and conscious logic? Oh my goodness. Oh, that's a fabulous question. Um, I think wisdom, in my opinion, Wisdom takes so much into account and it, wisdom includes stuff that isn't necessarily logical. Logic makes sense. It's a a through line. It's what everybody agrees to. And you can totally decide by that. 
um, wisdom, sometimes I make choices that don't make sense and my, I, I flourish because of it. Or it's so much fun and unexpected stuff happens that never would have happened if I would have taken the logical route. Um, it's wisdom, I think, incorporates all of us, our unconscious and our conscious. Logic, I think, is just our conscious. Mm -hmm. That's mm. my opinion. What do you, what do you think about that question? I agree 100%. <laughs> like I think I think conscious log logic or the the perception of like being smart it in many ways is is I associate being smart with a lot of conscious logic or book smart yes. or like learned theory mm -hmm. versus wisdom I think comes from experience and it's not just the experience of the mind it's the experience of your whole body a whole body experience and everything that has been remembered and stored by every single cell in your body from every single thing that you have lived through on this planet. That I, is why I, I believe that the older you get, like that you get wisdom. It's not that you get smarter, you get wiser. Absolutely. Like the adage is, you know, the, the, I can't remember it specifically, but you know, the respect your elders because they're, they're wise, not, not smart necessarily. I know a lot of smart people who are not wise, right. but I, there are a lot of wise people who are smart. Yes, absolutely. So if you are ready, let's get into a little rapid fire to wrap this up. Okay. <laughs> okay. What is your favorite, uh, favorite female character in a movie and why? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Um, I just totally went blank. This is where the, my perfectionist comes out and go, um, I've got to find the right answer and I don't have one. My brain just shut down. Um, God, I, anyone who takes a risk and anyone who's vulnerable, how about that? Awesome. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. There's no right or wrong answer for rapid oh, fire. <laughs> the questions are very vague and esoteric. Okay. So if you were queen of a country, what would be your prime focus? Oh, if I were queen of the world, if I'm going to be queen of the world, I would ban the word should, must, have to, need. Yes. Yes. If your palace had a swear jar, how much money would you have to put in it daily? Oh, my goodness. Quarters or dollars? Depends, <laughs> it depends on how much you charge. That's up to you as well. Right. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I'd have to put probably about $5 in a day. What, would you, what woman would you want to trade places with just for a day? Oprah Winfrey. Oh, Brene Brown. No, Oprah Winfrey. I'm a children. <laughs> <laughs> if you had to learn to love yourself at twice the speed, how would you have done it? Uh, I would have, I would have started smaller and made, make smaller steps and I'd be twice as fast. What message do you want to share with the world? Uh, love yourself now. You don't have to wait. Turns out that's the one that's on your email signature. Isn't that funny? <laughs> How'd you come up with that so fast? <laughs> and lastly, how do you crown yourself? How do I crown myself? Yes. What do you mean? It's whatever you mean it to mean. Oh, I crown myself utterly human. That's what I crown myself. Mm. Utterly Amazing. Human. Yeah. How can we find you? Where can we find you? Where can we get your book? How do we stay in touch with you? Tell us all the things. Okay. My website is everydaylove.me, which I love that title. I mean, I love that dot title. com was like $4,500 and dot me was like $33. And I'm like, well, that's a total duh decision. So everydaylove.me. I'm on Instagram, Dr. Jane Tornator. LinkedIn, Facebook is Everyday Love. Um, 
my book you can buy on Amazon. It's Everything is Perfect, Just Not Me, A Roadmap for Self-Acceptance, a short little book filled with tools that I give every single one of my clients. And if you want, you can uh, go to my website, everydaylove.me and sign up and you'll get a free PDF of my book and you'll get uh, tips that I send out about once a month. So that's that. Oh, oh, oh. And starting in January, I'm also launching uh, Seven Powerful Practices for Your Inner Perfectionist. Yes. It'll be a three-month program online so I can reach more people because I can only see like 20 people a week in my office. So I can reach more people and spread the love just like that therapist decades ago. Amazing. I love that. And Dr. Jane, I have so appreciate you working so hard to put yourself out of a job. Right. <laughs> I know, a little insane, I realize. <laughs> or, the, or the sanest thing that this world could need. Right, right. So thank you all so much, Dr. Jane. I cannot thank you enough for coming on, for sharing so vulnerably for your truth, for your tips. Oh my goodness. Please go back, do the exercises that Dr. Jane walked me through and practice them on your own. Remember, self-love is a daily practice. It's not a pill. You can't just take it once. It's like, it's a practice. So honor yourself. And as always, own your throne, mind your business because your reign is now. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If what you heard resonated with you, be sure to subscribe and share your breakthroughs and ahas with me by leaving a review on iTunes so I can keep the magic flowing your way. And if you aren't already following us on social media, come experience the extra inspiration and queenly convos on Instagram at crownyourselfnow or visit our website at crownyourself.com. I am so excited to connect with you in the next episode. And in the meantime, go out there and create a body, business, and life that rules.